Well, good morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. I'd like to read for you the passage that we'll be looking at this morning. It's Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 1 through 9. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the whole city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, and seeking to bring them out to the crowd... And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are acting against the decrees of Caesar by saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. But when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Jesus Christ has turned the world upside down. And this morning as we look at this text, I want to examine how not just Jesus turned the world upside down, but that he has empowered the church to do the same thing, to turn the world upside down. And what I find fascinating is that Paul goes into Thessalonica and the first thing it says is he goes into the synagogues, which was his custom, and he preached and he taught and he proved and he dug into scriptures for three whole weeks with the Jews there so he could prove to them that Jesus Christ had to suffer and then be resurrected from the dead. And then they got upset. They, the Jews got mad and they, and, they, and they instigated a mob against them. And the, and, the, and the Greek word for mob or rabble is a really strong word. Commentators will say it's like the lowest of lives in that room. And the Jews grabbed these men and said, I want you to start a mob. And so there was fighting, there was punching, there was screaming, and it was an uproar. So somehow Paul and Silas get carried away to this brother's house named Jason. And commentators believe that Jason's probably one of the new converts that just got converted. And so the Jews followed them there and tried to bust down the doors and get them out of here. We're going to beat in something, you know, fierce. They couldn't find him, and so they dragged Jason to jail and said, this man has brought these guys in here, and these are the guys that have turned the world upside down, and they're teaching that there's another king, comma, Jesus, period. What I think is fascinating is that these unbelieving, angry Jews said two very profound things, of course, unintentionally. The first thing they said was that Jesus was a king, so they understand the message they understand that the message is, there's a king, and his name is Jesus. But they don't like that message. And the second thing that they said, which was very profound, was, 
they accredited the apostles for turning the world upside down. I wish and hope and pray that they could say that about the church today. One of the great commentators, um, Dr. William Barclay, said this. They said, those who have upset the whole civilized world have arrived here. And then he goes on to say, that is one of the greatest compliments which has ever been paid to Christianity because when Christianity really goes into action, it must cause a revolution. A revolution both in the individual and in the society. Or I like the way um, Charles Spurgeon says. He says, they said the apostles had turned the world upside down. And of course, by that, what they meant was that they were disturbers of the peace. But they said a great and true thing. For Christ's gospel really does turn the world upside down. So this morning, I'd like to look at this text, and I'd like to see three ways that the world has been turned upside down. And I'd like to take this story and kind of go backwards through it, if you will, in the spirit of being upside down and all. The first thing I want to talk about is the kingdom of God is upside down. The the Jews said that Jesus was a king. He has a kingdom, and we're going to look today about how that kingdom is just upside down. It really is. The second thing that we see in this text is that in order to enter into that kingdom, you have to be redeemed. You have to be saved. And Paul says that he preaches Christ crucified. That's the way to get into the kingdom, by a dying God. And that is really upside down. So we have an upside down salvation. And then finally, once we are made citizens of that kingdom, once we come inside that kingdom, once we get redeemed into that kingdom, we become citizens of an upside down kingdom who live upside down kinds of lives. And we see that in this story, Paul and Silas are just upside down kinds of guys. And we see that in the stories surrounding this context as well, when they're in Philippi, when they're in Berea, when they're in Athens. These men are crazy for Jesus, and I want to look at that. So three things, an upside-down kingdom, an upside-down means to that kingdom or upside-down salvation, and citizens who live upside-down. The first thing we'll see is that the kingdom is upside-down. The Jews dragged Jason and the brothers to the authorities, the polytarchs is the Greek word, they're the city politicians. And they say, these men have turned the world upside down and they've come here and they're staying with Jason and they're teaching that there's another king, Jesus. In fact, this is the same exact argument that you can read about in the Gospel of Luke that the Jews gave to Pilate. He's creating heresy against our religion, and he's teaching against Caesar that there's another king. He's teaching that he's king. So Pilate looks at Jesus and says, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, if you say so. And then Jesus goes on to say, but my kingdom is not of this world. And he continues to talk about his kingdom throughout his teaching on earth. In fact, Matthew chapter 5 and and 6 and 7, the the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most famous sermons that Jesus gives, and it's all about the kingdom. It's about what the kingdom looks like, and it's about how to get into that kingdom, and it's about how kingdom people live. And in that sermon, Jesus says extremely strange things, mind-boggling things that I still can't grasp. They're upside down. He, He says things like this. He says, if anyone slaps you, On the right cheek, give him your left cheek as well. 
He says, if anyone takes you to court to sue you for all your clothes, give him, give him your coat. Give him the rest. If anyone forces you to go with him one mile, you give him two. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Can I borrow some money? Bible says. <laughs> he says, you ever heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who are persecuting you. Can I just say, that is upside down. That's an upside down kind of kingdom. In fact, the Bible's replete with stuff like this. In this upside-down kingdom, it's the first who get to be last, and the last get to cut in front and be first. In this upside-down kingdom, it's the meek and the poor in spirit who get to inherit the earth and the kingdom. In this upside-down kingdom, it's the least that gets spun around to become the greatest. Jesus is the king of an upside-down kingdom. And Paul really puts the icing on the cake. When he says this in this passage, he says, God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised and even the things that are not in order to bring to nothing the things that are. And that's upside down. Like, how do you bring to nothing the things that are from things that are not? Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian and Jesus has come into your life and, and, and you worship King Jesus, can I get an amen if Jesus has turned your world upside down? Amen. Because if you're a Christian, you know that Jesus has turned it all upside down for you. That before you entered into the kingdom, you used to be selfish. And if someone slapped you, well, you'll, you're going to hit them back for sure. Well, I want to hit someone right now, just thinking about it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But then Jesus turned your world upside down. Someone slaps you, and somewhere, somehow, you find grace to forgive. Before you entered into this kingdom, you were selfish, and you lived only for yourself. But now, somehow, you're learning to put others first and to live for Christ. It's upside down. Now, I bet that there are some people in this room who you really need your life to be turned upside down. And can I just tell you, Jesus wants to turn your world upside down, and he can do it. He alone can do it. He came here to turn your world upside down, and so get ready for your life to be turned upside down. Jesus can take that addiction that you have and turn it upside down to a glorious thing that will bring him glory. Jesus can take your anger problem and turn it into the most beautiful compassion. He can take your fear. He can take your lust. He can take your anger. He can take your pride. He can take your depression. He can take all those things and turn them upside down to glorious things that you can't even imagine. I promise you this is true. Can I get an amen? 
And all you got to do is believe in Jesus. He'll turn you upside down. You see, the gospel is not that Jesus came to save you from hell so that you can go to heaven, although it is that. But it's also that Jesus came to save you from all the things that are creating for you a hell on this earth. Jesus came not so that you can live and not die and go to hell, but so that you could have life. And Jesus says so you can have it to the full. He wants to turn you upside down and fill you all the way up until you're overflowing. That's the kind of upside down king that we serve. Amen? So if you're here this morning and you need your world rocked, well, that leads to our second point. Our second point is we have an upside down salvation it says in verse 3 that Paul's custom was to go into the synagogue of the Jews and to preach Christ crucified. He said, this Jesus that was crucified, he proves to them from Scripture that it was necessary for him to suffer, be crucified, die, resurrect in order to save them. And so in order to enter in his kingdom, you have to be saved by a God who dies upon a cross. And that's pretty upside down. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that for the Jews, they demand signs and Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ and him crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, those who are saved, those who are redeemed, whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, Christ is for us the power and the wisdom of God. So for a Greek, for a philosophical, intellectual political type. Christianity is stupid. It's upside down. It's ridiculous. Let me think about this. God becomes a baby in an obscure village to a blue-collar family who does nothing for like 30 years, and then all of a sudden, he's got some miracles and some good messages, and then he dies in front of everyone. And then Apparently, he resurrects in front of, you know, a few people. And then there's this thing like he imparted the third member of the Trinity in order to empower them to turn the world upside down. What is that? It's ridiculous. Except, of course, for the fact that the disciples did turn the world upside down. And if Jesus has ever turned your world upside down, then all of a sudden, it's not ridiculous at all. It's not impossible to believe at all. It's impossible to believe. You could say it's irresistible. And for the Jew, it's the same thing. For the Jew, for the religious, judgmental, legalist, the power of Christ crucified is a stumbling block. They trip over it. Because Jesus saves us by dying on the cross. So it's faith that saves us. And it's faith alone that saves us. And so for the Jew who says, what? I get saved because Jesus died and all i got to do is believe in him? That's upside down. What about all those laws? What about all them decrees? And Paul fights tooth and nail against this. He says, you've got to believe it's faith, faith. Don't let it trip you up. Don't let it stumble you. In Romans, he's beaten up all over them. They've got to believe in this faith alone gospel. But in Galatians, it's real clear. You can't mess up this. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's twisted your mind? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified. So let me ask you just this one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected back in the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul's saying, don't get tripped up on this. 
You were saved by faith. You will be sanctified by faith. Don't try to do this to get saved or sanctified. Faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's grace. It's alone. It's Jesus alone. It's Christ and him crucified. Well, that's too easy. That's why it's a stumbling block. That's why it's upside down. It's just weird. And I'll, I'll even say this. I think that as Christians, we have a hard time believing it as well. It's hard to swallow. It's like we almost don't believe that Jesus really loves us and wants to save us. It's that we seem that we have to prove it in some way or earn it in some way. And Paul says, don't do it. Don't get bewitched. Don't be foolish. It's free. So the gospel is, it doesn't matter what dark alley you just crawled out of. Jesus loves you, and he died for you. It doesn't matter whose bed your boot's been under. Jesus loves you, and he died for you. Simply believe. Call upon the name of the Lord. And you will be saved. Do you want your world turned upside down? Here it is. Simply believe. Call upon the name of the Lord. And your world will get rocked upside down and you'll be saved. Now that leads us to the last thing. Once you get saved, you become a citizen of this new upside down kingdom. And the citizens of the kingdom live lives that are upside down. The Bible tells us that when a human becomes redeemed, becomes saved, they are no longer of the world, but they become strangers, foreigners, resident aliens, new creatures. We are otherworldly. So our, our passions are different. Our ambitions are different. Our tastes are different. Our threshold for pain and suffering and persecution becomes different. We are otherworldly. We are upside down. And we see this in this text. It says that Paul went to the synagogue, comma, as was his custom. Paul always goes to the Jews first because Paul's a Jew. And he loves his brothers. And it says that he reasons with them, he explains with them, he proves with them. And all these Greek words are huge and powerful. It's like he's begging them, please, for three Sabbaths. On this occasion, he's begging them, please, did you read Isaiah? Please know that Jesus died for you. He's the Messiah. you got to hear this, guys. Paul even said, I wished that I could give my salvation and go to hell so that my brothers could be saved. Can you believe that? He says that in Romans 9. He loves his brothers. He's upside down. I mean, that's upside down, giving away your salvation so that someone else can go to heaven. We see it also in the, in the, in the other context as well. You see, this whole section in Acts begins with Paul seeing a vision from a Macedonian. The Macedonian says, come over here. So he goes to Macedonia, and his first stop is Philippi. And when he's in Philippi, he preaches the gospel. Some get saved, and of course, he gets beat. And so he gets put in jail. And while he's in jail, he and the other guys that are with him start singing. And the jailer's like, y'all are upside down. Singing in jail. It ain't New Year's. What are you doing? And then all of a sudden an earthquake happens and the whole jail falls down. And when the jailer comes to, he's like, oh, no, they ran away. Of course, if I were Paul, I would have run away. It's like, look, the Lord delivered us unto thine hands, you know, and I would run away. So the jailer thinks, I'm going to get in big trouble for this. I'm going to kill myself. So he puts his sword down. He's going to fall on a sword. And right then Paul and Silas say, oh, don't, 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 wait, wait, stop. We're here. We're here. Here, take us. Don't kill yourself, brother. And the Bible says immediately the jailer fell on his knees and said, I want Jesus. 
Thessalonica, we just read that story. The next story is Berea. Paul's already gotten beaten. Now he's going to the synagogue again. Hey, guys, let me show you from Scripture. Don't hit me yet. Let me just finish. And luckily in Berea, he gets, he gets a lot of people converted. Then, but still, the Jews are chasing after him, and they beat him some more. So he runs off to Athens, and Timothy and Silas say, Paul, just keep your mouth shut for one day, would you? Just rest here. Get some, we're going to go run some errands. We're going to go to Costco. When we come back, then we can go to the synagogue. And, Paul, and the Bible says this. The Spirit compelled Paul to preach to the Athenians, and he stood on Mars Hill, and he said, Men of Athens, listen. And he, he, couldn't, he couldn't shut up for one day. Preached the gospel to them. Hundreds got saved. He doesn't care if he gets beat. He's like, bring it. I'm going to preach it to you. You can beat me if you want. That's upside down. Now, when I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about like throwing a real zinger here. It's like, you know, Lord, give me a zinger. We have to be bold. In 2012, let's be bold. Let's don't care if people beat us. Let's be bold. But then I started thinking, it's true that the disciples were bold. And they are filled with the Spirit, so they've got boldness. But I think I'd miss the point. We would miss the point if we focused on the disciples and their boldness. And we missed, why are they bold? Why are they really upside down? I mean, the boldness, I think, is a fruit of their upside downness. So what is it that makes them so bold? Well, then it occurred to me, thanks to my beautiful wife, that here's why they're um, bold. It says, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we're crazy, it's for Jesus. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you, because the love of Christ controls us. Or some translations say, compel us. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, so therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sakes died and was resurrected. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has been passed away, and behold, the new has come. And Joe, Joe quoted this earlier today for the offering. It's a new year. So this is an appropriate verse today. It's a new, we're a new creature. We're a new creation. We're upside down. So what is it that gives the disciples boldness? I would venture to say that it is the love of Christ. That controls them. You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all that I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, I am nothing without love. So I would venture to say that the jailer, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, the Athenians, they were converted not because of Paul's eloquent words. I'm pretty confident he is pretty eloquent. He's teaching from Scripture but because of his love. The Jews can't deny the fact that Paul loves them. The jailer couldn't deny the fact that he must have loved them, that he stuck around, saved my life. The Athenians, Paul didn't stand on Mars Hill and say, you wicked heathens, you're all going to burn in hell for worshiping idols. In fact, if you read the passage, it says it was the idols that compelled him to speak. So why didn't he condemn the idols? Instead, he says, oh, I noticed that you guys are religious. I noticed that you guys worship gods. I noticed you got one here that doesn't have a name. I know his name. His name's Jesus. He died for your sins. He resurrected on the third day. He empowered the Holy Spirit. He's going to turn your world upside down. Come on, get saved right now. And they did, hundreds of them. He didn't condemn them. He loved them to Jesus. He found a bridge and said, I love you. Come follow me on this bridge. And he led them to Christ. 
It's the love of Christ that compels us. What will turn the world upside down? Love, sweet love. Jesus said, they will know you are mine because of your love. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he turned her upside down. If we want to turn the world upside down, I think we just need to get a big grip on the love of Christ. See, upside-down citizens, they love Jesus, they love the gospel, and they love the lost, and they're desperate to open their mouth and speak love to the lost. D.O. Moody, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, he's a preacher. He said this, the work of the Holy Ghost is to impart love. Paul could say, the love of Christ constraineth me. He could not help going from town to town and preaching the gospel. Jeremiah at one time said, I will speak no more in the Lord's name. I have suffered enough. These people don't like God's word. But a little while later, you know, he just couldn't keep still. His bones caught fire, and he had to speak. And so when we are so full of the love of God, we are compelled to work for God. How do we turn the world upside down? Full of the love of God. And it's like fire burning in our bones. We're upside down. We don't care if you take our lives. You want our clothes, we'll give you our coat. You ask me for money, I'm going to give it to you. My hope, my prayer, in 2012, would be that the church, it could be said of the church, that's those who have turned the world upside down and now they've come here. Jesus said, you'll do greater works than I. Jesus said, it's better for me to leave so that I can be sitting next to God and then I can send you my powerful Holy Spirit and then I can answer anything you ask in my name. So go turn the world upside down. Why is the church today not turning the world upside down? I want to turn the world upside down. In 2012, Let's make it our goal to turn the world upside down. Who wants, who's in? Oh my gosh, that's why the world's not turning upside down. <laughs> who's in? That's not going to work. I know it already. It's not going to turn her upside down. Who's in? Okay. What other New Year's resolution are you going to have for 2012? Lose some weight? Learn Spanish? Read some more books? Let's do something crazy. Let's do something upside down. Let's turn the whole thing over. What if the Mayans are right and we've only got like three days? I, I want to, I want to, what, what if Chapel of the Lake just loved Lake St. Louis so much that we turned her upside down. And then we went and planted another church somewhere else in some other city, some other state. And those people said, we've heard of this church. They ripped the place apart. They're going to turn it upside down, and they're here. Buckle up. Here it comes. And we just love them with the power of the Holy Spirit, with boldness. We walked in and said, beat me, because I want you to know who Jesus is. I, I want to see the world turn upside down. I, I, I don't want to see anything else but that. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we're so inadequate for this. You want us to turn the world upside down? 
you've already turned it upside down, but there are many who have, they've got their own worlds. They live in their own worlds. And, and, and you died to turn their worlds upside down and to fill it with life and to fill it with fullness. And you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit. You've given us the great gospel message. You've given us all the intellect, all the technology, all the power. You're even sitting at the Father's hand answering our prayers. Lord, may it be said of us that we are followers, lovers, passionate followers of Jesus. And we just turn everything upside down. Everything we touch, we turn it upside down. And may we be those people, just as the apostles were, not for their glory, but for your glory. Amen.